Tri-Village, happy uh, Palm Sunday. Definitely a celebratory day uh, to everyone worshiping here. Welcome to everybody online. Welcome to you as well. If you're here with me, say, I'm here. At home, loud enough so we can hear it here in Streamwood. Okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Reschke, and I serve as one of our pastors Uh, a pastor of sending and outreach specifically. So I oversee all of our missions, uh, global and local outreach, so in our communities and around the world. And again, just love what God is doing here and love every chance to uh, preach God's word um, and and just to be uh, serving our great uh, congregation here. Uh, Maybe my most recent claim to fame, I think I've appointed myself an officer of the Pastor Eric Solomon Fan Club. Um, that's a real thing. It's growing. I think you're all a part of it. We'll see you next week at the meeting. Amen. So we are in uh, a really important week, right? A really important week in certainly the Christian world, uh, but I would argue uh, a week that is a turning point, not just in Christianity, but in the entire world and the history of the world. It is Holy Week. We are heading to Easter and an event that would change the world, not just at one time, but forever. Thank you for the amen, Liam. That's my five-month-old son. This week, he did find new pitches of his squeaks, and so you might might hear those. He's liking to exercise them. Um, I was thinking about Easter this week. What it meant to me growing up and kind of seeing this evolution is... um, through my childhood, as my family was a church-going family, but uh, I became a, a Christ follower in my later teenage years in college. And so Easter uh, meant different things for me. So as a kid, um, I always remember um, a very common practice of dying Easter eggs, right? Why was Easter egg dye important to me? Well, all-you-can-eat hard-boiled eggs is something I will never argue with still to this day, Right? As Easter uh, transitioned and I became a, uh, a teenager, there was a thing called Easter brunch. Again, usually related to something all-you-can-eat. For me, it was all-you-can-eat, bacon, omelets, whatever it might be. So there's this theme, right? Easter seemed to revolve around food. Or the Easter egg hunt at my grandparents were, where uh, uh, they, they were in an old rambling house and they'd have Easter eggs hidden And during the meal, before the Easter egg hunt, I could be found basically saying I was going to the bathroom every 10 minutes because that was my chance to walk slowly through the rooms of the house and check out all the nooks and crannies for where the Easter eggs might be. Again, what filled those? Jelly beans. Easter was food for me, apparently, growing up. But my point here is, as I thought about it, there are all these trappings of Easter, even what we just saw with the kids um, as they were waving palm branches. These are symbols. These are things that we see, but it is very, very possible that we can observe all those trappings of Holy Week, all those traditions of Easter, but entirely miss Jesus. Not only who he was and what he did at one point in time, but what that meant for all time. 
So what I want for you today, hold this with you, my wish, as we go through a passage that may be familiar to some of you or may not be. I want you to see the real Jesus in this Holy Week, in this Palm Sunday. I'm going to ask you some questions, so think with me for a second. And just be honest in your mind as you think through this. Who is Jesus, really? Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he, as some say, a teacher? Is he a philosopher who set out this brilliant moral code and value system? Is he, as some major world religions would say, a prophet, one among many, sent by God? Is he, as other world religions would say, a false messenger or a false prophet? Is he a rule maker, a rule keeper? And therefore, a buzzkill. How about for you today? Might Jesus be somebody largely ignored until maybe times of trouble? And in times of trouble, he can be taken out of our back pocket and maybe prayed to or asked in a circumstance for comfort. Or largely put in our back pocket until the opposite of struggle, until it's such time for a social media post with a new car, house, job, child, whatever, usually with the hashtag blessed. Who is Jesus to you? Is he like much of the world says, Jesus is love? But then I would ask, what kind of love? So much of the world looking on is saying Jesus is love, and what that means is actually this love that would never tell you you are mistaken. That would never, if you were going off a path that was not going to lead to your full flourishing, wouldn't bring you back to it. That's a shallow love. Or is Jesus and the way he shows his love actually somebody who points out to you that you may be mistaken? That you may not be able to save yourself and you may be in need of a savior. You may be sick and need a doctor, his healing. I want you to answer this in Holy Week and Easter this year. Maybe in new ways. Who is Jesus? And I'm going to walk through our passage here is that it's not only the people, but Jesus who claims that he was not just king for one people for one time, but actually King of Kings, perfect Savior, Lord, and Son of God. So Jesus, as we approach our passage and what he said in the actions he took, in the symbols that he used, and in what he clearly claimed, is so much bigger and so much better, but what he did was so much more costly than so many of us ever realized. So one thing we do here in our church family as we read in our passage for the day out of reverence for God's word as we stand. So I invite you to stand with me now. Um, and if you open your Bibles or turn your Bibles on, we are going to be in uh, the Gospel of John. And so uh, if, if you think of your Bible, you can look at mine here. You're like uh, three quarters of the way through uh, and you look for the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It's a familiar story, but we're going to find some really beautiful things here today. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard, had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You may be seated. All right, so a lot of the truth about exactly who Jesus claims to be. Now, we usually read this as who did the people say Jesus was? But Jesus also makes some distinct claims here, and I'm going to use a couple other verses as as we turn the page into John uh, 12, verse 22. Um, I want you to see the real Jesus here because so much of what I said, that long list I gave of who is Jesus, who is Jesus to you, those are actually not options that Jesus leaves open to us. What he does in in, in Holy Week, what he does today on Palm Sunday and, and later this week on the cross does not leave those options open. I want you to see the real Jesus here. So first context, we read there are great crowds. Now you may ask, what what are the great crowds? Where are the great crowds coming from here? Now Jerusalem is a a city. It's, It's a bustling center of the Jewish world. But actually at this time, there's this major feast going on. It is a feast, a festival of the Passover. And so we know um, that hundreds of thousands of extra people would be there for a feast. They were there for this major feast. Now, there are three major festivals and lots of others where Jewish people who lived within a certain distance uh, would would come to Jerusalem. But the three big ones were uh, Pentecost, Tabernacle, and what we're actually celebrating, what Palm Sunday is, is of the Passover. And so Jews from all over um, uh, the, the region would come and they'd, they'd uh, ascend to Jerusalem. By the hundreds of thousands, there were certain routes to take. There were scripted prayers. You would pray and songs um, in, on the approach to Jerusalem. And so uh, in my study this week, some estimated as few as 1 million, some up to 2.7 million at this time. But what we read in verse 12, a great crowd had come to the festival. There were great crowds, and then there was another great crowd that came to see Jesus. So Jesus' arrival in the midst of this is huge. This is part of what he's claiming. Why wouldn't Jesus come at another festival, another one of the feasts, any of which could work, right, where people are gathered? They're celebrating. Like Pastor Eric said in his announcements today, there's these the stones of remembrance. There's a lot to remember in, in, in history of when God moved miracles and when he moved mightily. But Jesus' arrival here is really, really important because it's who he claims to be. So back in the Old Testament, I'm going to give like a, a bit of a sweeping little history here. 
God's people had generations of slavery and hardship in Egypt. They were enslaved under the Pharaoh, oppression, and they were crying out to God. And we read that God heard their groans, heard their cries, and so he actually um, sends his servant, this is Moses, to demand that his people are set free to redeem or, or to release his people from the shackles, from the oppression, from slavery in answer to their cries and to all that they are crying out for. But we read over and over, Pharaoh's heart is hardened again and again. And so God sends what? He does what? If you're thinking back to history, plagues, disasters, plagues, one after the other. Um, and Pharaoh's heart is still uh, hardened. And so God keeps sending these, but then there is uh, basically the, the, the final, the most horrifying is God sends and, and usually represented like the angel of death. Or, um, but, but what happens is that the firstborn son in all of Egypt is taken, killed. But for God's people, he gave them a command. He said, on this night, when this is going to occur throughout the land of Egypt, and there were all these destructions, take a lamb without blemish and how they needed to slaughter it and the sacrifice. But then at, at the end was to spread the blood on the doorways of their houses. And they would therefore, because they were God's people, be spared that plague, be spared that wrath and be spared that judgment. And we read, so that, that judgment passed over. Do we see where we get Passover? Passed over those doorways, passed over those houses. So God's mighty hand, his salvation of his people came because his judgment and wrath were passing over. So this then, so much time later, is a regular and huge festival because it is a miracle of God. His people are saying, we look back, we remember the Passover. It's a major moment of the cultural history. So that is why everybody's here. And we're going to get to why Jesus' arrival here is so significant. So everything in, the, in this passage carries significance. Even the palm branches. We saw the kids. What is the palm branches? We, we read in, in verse 12, uh, John 12, verse 12. And I'm just going to walk through kind of verse by verse what certain things meant, but also what they signified. Uh, they came and they took palm branches and went out to meet him. So the great crowd that came, palm branches actually in the Greco-Roman world, which was the world that Israel was in in the time, signaled victory. We read in Psalm 92.12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. In Jewish history, they, they, were, they represented the, the winning of a major battle about 100 years before. But what this claims, the people are claiming, and here's our first point for our note takers, the real Jesus is victorious and righteous. The real Jesus is victorious and righteous. That is what the people are claiming. The great crowd who come, they wave palm branches because the real Jesus is victorious and righteous. Now, for those of you who have heard me preach or what is very common in our church family, you go, wait, Kyle, the real Jesus stuff, we usually get to like 30 minutes into the sermon and then you spend your last seven minutes on all the Jesus stuff, right? 
well, we've got the Jesus stuff all the way through today, okay? Are you with me? The real Jesus is victorious and righteous. Is that who Jesus is to you? Could we stop the sermon and say, or like the people were claiming at this time, um, the, the Jesus we're looking for and claiming with the palm branches, we want victory. But what did they want victory over? The Romans. They wanted victory for one place and one time over one oppressive empire. And so the real Jesus, while he is victorious and righteous situationally, Jesus is claiming to be so across all situations. So don't take away from this if, if I wanted to preach like a prosperity thing and just say, what is it that's defeating you right now? That's what Jesus came for. No, the real Jesus is victorious and righteous not only for that, but for all things. So the people are celebrating. They're anticipating victory. They're yelling something. We're still in verse 13. What are they yelling? We sang this today. There's a word. What was it? Hosanna. Hosanna. Now the translation of Hosanna is now again, who are they claiming Jesus to be? Hosanna means save now. For those who want to look up all the context, go back to Psalm 118. You can read, and it's, it's a cry out to God. It's saying, we're in trouble. We need God's salvation. It's Hosanna. Save now. And so what I want you to see here is that the real Jesus is God's salvation. That's our second point. So Jesus is victorious and righteous, and also Jesus is God's salvation. So here at Passover, they wanted salvation, just like they were freed, delivered from Egypt, and celebrating at the feast. The same now under Rome, salvation, a way out from circumstances. Save now. A beautiful cry out to God, because the real Jesus is God's salvation. Are you with me so far on these first two? We got a couple more. Okay. Third, okay, the donkey makes the appearance, right? We just quoted Psalm 118, the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. We'll get to the king in a second because then in verse 14, for those who are still following along, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. What does this mean? Why would Jesus come on a donkey? Two things. The king is coming. And kings during this time would ride in on one of two animals. A donkey or a horse. And so culturally at this time, which animal the king was riding in on signified the king's purpose. A king going out to a people not under his reign or dominion yet, offering peace 
rides a donkey. A king offering war rides a war horse. Okay? So at this time, we see Jesus riding in. What is he declaring? He's riding in on a donkey. So he is declaring king, but king coming for peace. Yeah, thank you all. You're following along. I appreciate that a lot. But this was fascinating to me because anybody who wants to see this is what Jesus offers now, when Jesus comes back and we read in the book of Revelation, Jesus is riding something other than a donkey. He's riding a horse. Different time then, huh? But at this time, what he, he is claiming, so don't miss here, it's not that, and, and, and all four Gospels um, show that Jesus rides in not only on the donkey, but it's not that the donkey was given to him by the people. What do we read? Jesus found. In other of the Gospel accounts, he requested. He sent people to go get the donkey. But either way, this was Jesus' request. It's not that it was always there. So Jesus, not just the people crying, Hosanna, save now. Jesus is proclaiming himself based on knowledge of the scriptures. King coming for peace. It's what Jesus is proclaiming himself to be. And the scripture back to those and what it meant culturally, if you want to look through it at the end of the sermon or on your own this week, Zechariah 9.9. So an Old Testament prophet. This is how the promised and prophesied king comes. So our third, Jesus is king, offering peace. And so as we close out this section and move on, because there's something incredible that happens, for this last part of, of, of verses 12 through 19, I want you to see beyond those three, John wants us to know that even the disciples missed the entire picture. Like, this is a common thing. We see Jesus, and and our natural inclination is to say, yes, his salvation. And I see his salvation is um, for what I need salvation from right now. What do I need to be saved from? Yes, okay, Kyle, I see Jesus. I see King offering peace. But my, my mind at least goes to what is, what is right now? What is the causing me of anxiety? Where do I need peace? And those are partially true. Don't miss that. Those are true. But they miss the entirety of who Jesus is. And so, don't be super discouraged if that's you. Okay? Be pointed to the broader Jesus. Jesus had to do that with his disciples all the time. And they were walking with them. They saw the miracles. They're seeing what's happening. In verse 16, we read, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So the disciples didn't even notice or didn't see the whole thing of what was being claimed, of what the people were claiming. They didn't understand It's almost a a knock on the disciples here, but what it also shows is number four, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The fulfillment of all of God's promises. 
So they kind of fast forwarded only after Jesus was glorified. Jesus was glorified, uh, so he was crucified this coming Friday, raised, that's what we celebrate with the empty tomb Easter morning, then had a time still with the disciples, sending them out, promising the Holy Spirit, and ascends into heaven. So in that glorified time, only when that happened did the disciples look back and go, oh, we see all that now. Oh, the palm branches were victorious over more than this one time. The donkey was king, offering peace. Everything that we're talking about today, they look back. But Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, this is fascinating. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. But um, up to, and I seem to land about in this area too, there's about 351 prophecies in the Old Testament that came true in Jesus. So talking about who the king was, when he would come, what the Messiah would mean, even what he looked like. He was acquainted with sorrows, which we get in the, uh, at the crucifixion on Friday and the weight and the heavy grief. 351 that were fulfilled in Jesus in his life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascending to heaven. 351. Why do I say that? I think that's important for people to know who might say, well, Kyle, I don't know, is the Bible really, uh, is there continuity? Is it one story or is it just disjointed? Is it really true? This is one of the most incredible arguments for the truth of the Bible. God communicated and centuries later, sometimes millennia later, the promises, the prophecies, they came true. And we can see that truth through all that time here. So Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. And so we get the sense from the crowd that was there, from the disciples, that there were the disciples, there were those, they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, right? This is another thing. He will defeat death. He will raise the dead. The blind will see. The oppressed will be set free. And so it was not only the disciples, it was those who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. It was those who had heard about it. And then we read in, verses, uh, in verse 19, so the Pharisees, who were still trying to destroy all this and work their thing to have Jesus uh, be removed or killed, and they end up succeeding, right? But all in God's plan and his sovereignty. That's the whole crowd that is there. And the Pharisees say, look how the whole world has gone after him. And Pastor Eric, I said I was in his fan club. He pointed this out to me. This is like the first place we actually see the world coming because then if it's, it's in my Bible, it's verse 20. Flip to John 12, verse 20. So we've moved through 12 through 19. There's been the triumphal entry. And it's not just the Jews who are there from right around Jerusalem who are with him. We read right next, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So here's where we get really meaty, okay? Here's where we take all of the, and Jesus takes all of the, the palm branches, the celebration. So he's victorious and righteous, salvation, king offering peace, 
Jesus' fulfillment of all of God's promises and, and, and takes the party but goes, but now I need you all to see the cost of this. Now I need you all to see what this really, really means. You think that victory was desired victory over just your conquerors right now. You think peace was peace at this time and place for the Jewish people. You think fulfillment of God's promises to care, provide, and to be their God was for that time. But Jesus expands all of these categories and not just to all of life for these people, but to the entire world. So keep following along with me. John 12, I'm going to go in verse 23 and I have this up on the slide here, Josh. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, something we've heard Jesus say over and over to his disciples who want to know the info, who want to know the time, he would say, the hour has not yet come. The time is not yet at hand. Everything that you're hoping for and expecting is not yet here. And here for the first time, this is Palm Sunday. He literally goes, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now the time has come. This is both a reminder, but it's... it's, it's it's a command. And the way I read this is to say, don't cheapen this. Don't make this less than what it is. Salvation is more than being saved from this one problem. Peace is more about uh, being saved from this one area. Promises are so much bigger. And so we celebrate, we celebrate at Easter, the real Jesus. The time has come. Yes, he goes to glory and amen for that. But what we see here in Jesus' claims is the pathway to get there is so costly, is so hard, and it's through death. So worship the king in glory, but know that the pathway there was through the humili humiliation of death on the cross. Worship the Jesus who has ascended to heaven, is seated on the throne, but know what we see in Holy Week here, that the throne, before the throne, came the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. Worship Jesus, who is the reason that the wrath of God passes over all who believe in him. But knowing that is because he took the wrath for us. And worship the real Jesus who has offered limitless grace and love. But don't cheapen that grace by thinking it just allows you to do whatever you want. Or think that there are ways to heaven that you can earn. Or anything that is less than the fullness of Jesus. The real Jesus is love. When Christians say that, when the world says that, that statement in itself is right. The real Jesus is love. But in that love, he confronts. He talks here, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, and it's the language of death. 
I am going to die. And that's going to unleash the greatest movement, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the helper he has promised, the glory of God, and the fulfillment of his promises around the whole world. For my last verse, I want us to see is verse 26, because Jesus continues to confront it. He uses the language of death. He's talking about when he goes, he's like the grain of wheat. It will die, it will go into the ground, and it will produce many seeds. And he personalizes it here, not only to the disciples, but the people who are there for us today. In verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is costly. Jesus confronts it here. He says, whoever serves me must follow me. Not whoever serves me be in halfway. Whoever serves me keep me, like I talked about in the beginning. Whoever serves me keep me in your pocket for hashtag blessed moments or times of overwhelming anxiety, and he only bring me out for use then. No, Jesus is so much more than useful. He confronts, whoever serves me must follow me. There is no halfway, there is no offer that Jesus is anything but the one who is going to glory. There is no option that Jesus is anything but Lord of all, King of kings, Savior of all of life, Jesus is all of it. Amen? He doesn't leave any door open. In a very British way, C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his lifetime. Um, and I love the, the, the um, reference to a poached egg. You can follow it here. And that was just my uh, British knowledge and reference. So I'm, C.S. Lewis quote. He writes this in Mere Christianity. But I think he really hits this on. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And they would say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, which is what happens through Holy Week and on Good Friday. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Follow this here, everyone. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You catch that? That is the real Jesus. And what we find on Palm Sunday amidst the celebration, Jesus offers himself as Savior. The real Jesus, yes, He is for you, with you, came for you, present. But here's what I want you to see, not just for the parts, for all of it. 
It's why it was so costly. It was for everything. This is why when we preach here, we hit topics like on our marriage, family, friends. So important. Jesus is there, desires the all, not just in one situation, but in every situation. In our marriages, you are an ambassador to your spouse. In your neighborhoods, you are an ambassador to your neighbors, to everywhere that you live. In your workplace, those who may be waiting to be pointed to the real Jesus, who is for them, with them, died for them. God has you there, your place of influence. In the areas of hidden life or of hidden sin in your life, you may say, well, you know, I let Jesus into this part, but I'm working on this part in my heart on my own. Not an option that Jesus leaves. The unity of our church family, like Pastor Eric preached last week, why is that important? Certainly it's beautiful, it's we help one another, but it is a sign of the one who meant to unify people from so many different backgrounds. That can only happen in Christ. And as we think about this, the whole world that Jesus came for, it's not just the nation, it's not just America. It is for all nations. I don't know if you know this, but in every nation of the world, not just on Easter, but in every day, there are believers praising the name of God, lifting up the name of Jesus for his glory, and evangelizing. If we think it's about one people at one time, say either the Jews in Jerusalem at the the Passover or the United States of America in 2021, I want you to know that the name of Jesus is praised in over 2,000 languages around the world. It's not an American gospel. It's not for one ethnic group. Jesus came for all of it. Every background, Every language we read in the Bible, right? Every tribe, nation, tongue. So every place for all time, he came for nothing less. So who is Jesus for you this Easter? This Holy Week? If you are somebody who is checking him out, exploring, maybe today or this week is the day that you say, okay, I see that. Jesus didn't just want me to explore for my entire life. He wants me. He wants all of me. Maybe you've been a churchgoer your whole life or have been in the trappings of Easter or, or this religion, and, and there's, there's some aspects, but you are keeping some area from him. Or you're saying, nope, I've been in the trappings of it for a long time. And the real Jesus is for all of me. And all of that, that invitation of Palm Sunday and for Easter is for you. If you have Jesus, 
the invitation to continue to have him, to not just use him, but to delight in him, to see him as beautiful, to grow, to experience his presence. That invitation is for you. The real Jesus came for all of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, it is a message that can sometimes be confusing. It's a message I know I can miss and have missed. That I live or my life would show that you are here for a part of it. That my sin or my testimony would show that you are Lord of only portions. Oh, but God... You are so much more. We claim that today, Palm Sunday, Father. That instead of the wrath of God, we receive an invitation. An invitation not just to a part of the kingdom, not just to a part of God's presence, but to the fullness of life in you. Nothing less. And Father, frankly, I think that's beyond our understanding. And awe and wonder is a perfectly acceptable thing. Leave me, leave our church family in awe and wonder, Father, of you, in praise of you. Lord, proclaiming your name to all corners of the earth just like you intended. You came for all of it. We're grateful and we praise you this morning. 